Please open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We continue with our series that all things work together for the good of God's people. And today and next week, Lord willing, I will be laboring to show you that the worst things work together for the good of God's people. So last Sunday and the Sunday before, we considered that the best things work together for the good of God's people, the attributes of God, the promises of God, the mercies of God, the gifts of the Spirit, the graces of the Spirit, that they all work together for the good of God's people. The Son's intercession works together for the good of His people. The Spirit's intercession works together for the good of His people. The, the prayers of the saints, the intercession of the people of God works together for the good of the people of God. And the fellowship of God's people works together for our good. God has orchestrated things so much so that the best things the best thing that you can ever think of at least in this world works together for the good of god's people and and this is uh, uh, with the aim of showing that all things really work together for the good of god's people today i will be showing that the worst things work together for the good of god's people um and I'll present two things to you today that the temptations that we face work together for our good and the sins that we commit that befall us work together for our good. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 forward. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit helps us, sorry, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So our signature text there is verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, as we consider that the worst things work together for the good of God's people, it's important that... We begin by understanding or by saying that the worst things are not good in and of themselves. So temptations are not good. Sins are not good. Afflictions, as we're going to see next week, are not good in and of themselves. Um, I mean, the very fact that they are the worst things assumes that they are, you know, they are bad. Then they are worse. And then... And then they become the worst things. So, by the virtue that they are the worst things, they cannot be good. They are bad. They are worse. They are the worst, even. The point here is that God takes the point of uh, uh, saying that the worst things work together for the good of 
God's people is to show that God takes that those things that are bad, those things that are worse, those things that are the worst, and overrules them for the good of the Christian. He takes the worst things and he turns them around for the good of God's people. Thus then the apostle is able to say that all things work together for the good of God's people. When we hear all things, we are not only to hear about the good things, we are not only to to think about good things, when we hear all things, we are also to hear that even the worst things that befall the Christian work for their good. Perhaps as I as I begin here I should also say that these things work together for the good of those who are Christians. So even the worst things they work together for the good of the Christian so that the non-Christian does not know or have this privilege. The one who is not a believer does is not does not have any right to partake of the goodness that God produces out of everything. All things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. These people whom God loved first, therefore they love him. These people whom God has predestinated. That's what we read in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. These ones are the ones who partake of the privilege of having all things work together for their good even the worst things now again everything working together for the good of god's people grants comfort to the christian so that even though the worst things are terrible temptations and sins even though they are they are bad things and if we were to be given the option we would choose not to have them nonetheless while they befall the Christian, they shouldn't cause the Christian to fall into despair. Rather, they should help the Christian to love God more, to see that God is good. So, number one, I'd like to show that temptation works for the good of God's people. Temptation works for the good of God's people. Let me ask you a question here as we begin. Where do temptations come from? Where do temptations come from? Yes? From the devil? <clears throat> come from the devil. Job is tempted by who? By who? Come on, by who? By the devil. The devil goes to God, asks for permission, comes to tempt this child of God that we call Job. Ananias and Sapphira are tempted by who? Go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles feet look at verse 3 but peter said ananias why has satan 
filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. So who tempts these people? It's the devil. Temptations come from the devil. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking for someone to devour, seeks for someone to tempt, even to cause them to sin, to deceive them, that they may fall into their temptations. Who tempted our Lord? The devil. The devil comes to the Lord Jesus Christ after his 40-day fast and he wants to cause him to sin. And so temptations come from the evil one. One last text there. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Chapter 2 verse 10. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, the devil, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Um, there's a man, Puritan man, preacher by the name Thomas Brooks. He has written a book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. The evil one has devices, designs, that he has prepared for the people of God to cause them to sin, to tempt them. He has his designs and his people ought not to be ignorant of his designs. So temptations come from the devil. Where else do temptations come from? Yes. From the flesh, from our own desires. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <clears throat> we saw this as we were considering this book. In James chapter 1, verse 12, we're told, Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted. See, the idea of temptation is now introduced. I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, lest we fall into the trap of blaming the devil alone for our temptations. This text right here reminds us that temptation also comes from our, our own sinful desires, our own desires. We are told there that then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth 
death. Temptation also comes from our own flesh, from our own sinful desires, from remaining sin that is in us. Where else do temptations come from? should be easy having had the devil and the flesh. Where else? Yes? The world. So we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. Temptations also come from the world around us. Right? When you go to work, uh, you, you work with unbelievers, you are tempted to seen like them to think like them to walk like them to do things the way they do things when you walk around you are tempted when you see other people's riches when you see other people's things you are tempted to want those things not in a good way that helps you to work hard but in a sinful way that makes you think of the easiest way possible to get whatever you see around. First John, go to First John. First John and chapter two. First John chapter two. From verse fifteen, we are told, "Do not love the world. <clears throat> Do not love the world." Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, the world here is its systems and all that is opposed to God. And we are told out of these systems of the world are the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. My friends, temptation does not only come from the devil. It also comes from our own flesh. Temptation does not only come from the devil and our own flesh. Temptation also comes from the world around us. And thus then as believers, we ought to be watchful as we walk in this world, as we have this remaining sin in us, and as the devil is out there, as we've seen, prowling like a lion, seeking for someone to devour, we should be watchful. We should be careful. Because these are the primary places where temptation comes from now temptations as we have already seen are not good in and of themselves so while we are considering that all things work together for the good of god's people even the worst things temptation temptations being the the, uh, uh, one of the very worst things they're not good because they are promptings from the world they are promptings from the flesh they are promptings from the devil in the believer in order to cause them to sin, to go against God's law. And so these temptations ought to be um, 
ought to ought to be rejected they ought to be pushed back if you will with all our might but then the question is how does god work through these temptations for the good of god's people this is what i'm seeking to show you how does temptation work for the good of god's people how does god use temptations or work in and through temptations to help the christian for their good number 1 temptation makes the christian prayerful temptation makes the christian prayerful second corinthians if you will turn there with me second corinthians chapter 12 Someone please read for us verse 1 to verse um ten. So you see there that um the apostle is describing um these visions that he had of uh, of the Lord revelations of of the Lord and he says that uh, he was caught up to the third heavens and then he says that uh, um a messenger of Satan was sent uh to harass him to keep him from being conceited pride look at verse 8 three times i pleaded with the lord about this 
that it should leave me. And the thing that I want you to see there is that Paul has a temptation to be prideful, to be conceited. The uh, 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 message of Satan is sent to him, a seven, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these visions and revelations that he encounters or experiences, he is given a thorn in the flesh. Theologians have gone on and on and on on what that thorn in the flesh should be. But then the point there is that this is granted him to keep him from pride, the temptation there being pride. What does he do? He calls upon the Lord. He prays three times. He pleads with the Lord that this should leave him. But then we see that it is given so that he may be humble. Temptations come to you as a Christian in order to help you to be more prayerful. In order to help you to depend upon the Lord. In order to, number two, keep you humble. Those two points go hand in hand. They help you to be prayerful. They help you to be humble. It's the same thing that we see there. Now, the more you are tempted, dear Christian, the more you should pray. And that really should be like a gauge. Do you pray when you are tempted? If you do not pray when you are tempted, how does temptation work for your good? The Bible says that all things work together for the good of God's people. The worst things, temptation here being what we are considering, should work for your good. And working for your good means producing in you more and more prayer. Thomas Watson says here, quote, Temptation is a medicine for carnal security. That which makes us pray more works for good. End quote. He's essentially saying that if we have this carnal security, thinking that we are sufficient in and of ourselves, temptation comes so that it may humble us. And then it comes so that it may help us to pray. That which makes us pray more works for our good. And because temptation ought to cause more prayer in the Christian, therefore it works for the good of the Christian. Look at verse 7 again. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. This happens to the apostle to keep him humble. Temptations work for our good by producing humility in us. Sometimes the temptations we get keep us humble, lest we think that we are better than others. You know that, eh? Sometimes as believers, because we do not sin in certain ways like others, we, we are prone to think. We are tempted to believe that we are better than others because others sin in a greater way than we do. Temptations come to us. The temptations that you face come to you for your good, to produce humility in you. And that's then my encouragement this morning is that uh, is that you should take the temptations that you face and be more prayerful and be humble. Be brought to a place of humility. 
This works for the good of the Christian, the good of God's people, to cause them to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the epitome of humility. Number three, temptations make us search our hearts. Temptations make us search our hearts. <clears throat> How do we know that we are loyal to Christ? Let me ask. How do you know that you are loyal to Christ? Yes? world the flesh and the devil bring upon us all these temptations they want to cause us to be unwilling to follow our lord in other words they want to cause us not to be loyal to christ rather to be loyal to them temptations work for our own good because they produce a particular loyalty in the people of God to their Lord Jesus Christ. When we are tempted, we ought to fight and push back against the temptations that we face so that we show that we are loyal to God. Go with me to Matthew chapter 4. Let me show you this. We look, look at this from the experience, the temptations of our Lord. And I'd like you to, I'd like you to look at this in, in a new light. I'd like you to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely loyal to his God. And this is why he's not going to sin. Now, before we look at this, think about Joseph. What is the primary reason why Joseph refuses to lay with Potiphar's wife? Yes? What's the primary reason? What causes him not to lay with Potiphar's wife? Nope. Not quite. Yes. He, 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 he asks... How can I do this thing and do what? And sin against my God. Loyalty to God. That's what temptation should produce in the believer. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <clears throat> and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you hear loyalty to God there? He's not going to do this because God is the one who feeds him. And that's then he's not going to be tempted like this and be 
disloyal to his God. Verse 5. And the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, you hear such loyalty to his father. He's not going to sin against his God. These temptations really propel him to establish the, the loyalty that he has to his father. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All this I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You hear loyalty there, right? The Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely loyal to his Father when temptations befall him. And this is what temptations produce in the people of God, thus then working for the good of God's people. When temptations come to you, this is an opportunity for you to establish loyalty to your God, loyalty to Christ. The opposite is true. When we fall into the temptations, what, what are we doing? We are becoming disloyal. We are not loyal to our Lord. Is this what happens to, to you when temptations come? They should help us to search our hearts. They should help us to think critically about our own estate. Are we loyal to our Lord? This is how temptations work for our good. They cause in us that longing to be loyal to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Him who has purchased us by his blood, forgiven us of our sin, sins, redeemed us at his cost taken us in, we who are dead in our trespasses, uh, lost and ruined by the fall, the hymn writer says. Temptations make us able to help those tempted in similar fashions. Temptations help us, uh, make us be able, give us the ability to help those who are tempted like we are. Go with me to First Corinthians chapter 10. Someone read for us verse 13. Verse 13, yes.
but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that he may be able to endure. Look at that first statement there. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. This is to say that really believers are tempted in similar ways. That the things the things we go through, some other believer somewhere is going through the same thing. In fact, believers in the same congregation, same local church, go through similar things. That's why you have different people groups in the church. You have old men, young men. You have old women, young women. The temptations that the young women go through, old women went through them. Temptations that the young men are going through, the old men went through them. The temptation that as an individual you may be going through, someone else in the church is going through the same thing. No temptation, the Bible says, has overtaken you that is not common to man. Remember, the apostle is writing to to who? Here? Yes? Yes? The Corinthian church. He's writing to a church, really. And so these people, the temptations that they are going through, they are not to think that they are going through them by themselves. At a, you know, your temptation is just peculiar to you. It's not, it's not uncommon. And then he says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. You see that way of escape? Includes other believers helping you out of that temptation because your temptation is not peculiar to you. And thus then, temptation works for the good of God's people. By showing them that they are not going through it by themselves. That it is not theirs alone. That someone else somewhere in the church is going through the same thing that they are going through. That they may be helped. That good may come out of it. Let me, let me, let me show two last things because of time. Temptations make us long for heaven. You know this, eh? When temptations come upon us, any true Christian knows that there is a desire that rises within our hearts. That desire to want to be with God, to want the Lord Jesus Christ to come back quickly. That's then the believer says, Come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. Maranatha. Temptations, lastly, make us take refuge in God's word. Temptations make us take refuge in God's word. They produce a, a, a dependence upon the word of God. That only temptations can produce. When we, when we are tempted to <clears throat> towards riches, when we are tempted to uh, whatever kind of sin, the word of God deals with it. And this is precisely why the devil is defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus does not does not. Uh, um, uh, use any other means to 
via Roth, the evil one. Jesus uses the word of God. He immediately goes to the word of God. And in all the temptations that he faces, he, he, he tells the evil one, it is written. You see, really, temptation does not only produce prayer in the Christian, making them and causing them to depend upon God in prayer. It also, re, uh, uh, it also removes or causes, produces in them uh, dependence upon the word of God. Because the word of God really is the sword. That is, it, 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 it's the... Uh, it's sharper than the, the, the two-edged sword. It's able to pierce through the bone and the marrow. It's the word of God really that, that helps the Christian, exposes the evil in us and grants us the solution to it, to these evils, to these temptations. Is there any question or comment? Any, any question or comment? I may ask, do you ever think that the temptations you face are working out for your good? More often than not, believers, as believers, we, we go through the temptations that we go through, and we, go, we just go through them. It doesn't produce a particular meditation upon what God might be doing in our hearts through these temptations and that's then my encouragement to you as an application is consider the temptations that you go through that God allows them to befall you so that you may be helped so that even though God does not quite um, God doesn't quite uh, bring temptations to you because that's what the word of God says. He allows them to befall you for your own good. The same way he brings trials that what may be produced in us. Yes? Yes? Steadfastness. Perseverance. God allows trials to befall us. He brings them even that steadfastness may, may, may be produced in us. He allows temptations for our good that we may be prayerful, that we may depend upon Him in His Word, that we may long for heaven, that we may trust in Him with all our soul, with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our might. Number two, I'd like to show that sins, sin works for the good of God's people. So number one, temptations work for the good of God's people. Sin works for the good of God's people. These are the worst things, my, my, my brethren. When we go to evangelize, we tell the unbeliever <clears throat> that their greatest problem in the world is what? A sin. A sin. Temptations. Because temptations bring sin when they conceive and sin when it is fully developed brings forth death sin is the worst thing in this world in your life sin is not good it's not good not only because it is a breaking of god's law but also because it is deserving of god's wrath and curse both in this life and that which is to come 
sin is evil sin is not good the wages of sin is death sin is a terrible thing it's not good in any way shape or form it's a bad thing but again like temptation god uses sin to produce uh, good or to work out good for the good of his people because all things work together for the good of God's people God takes sin turns it around and uses it for the good of this of this his people I'd like to show you that the sin of others is used by God for your good and that your own sins are used by God for your good the sins of others work for the good of God's people because they produce they produce a holy hatred for sin Psalm 119 Psalm 119 <clears throat> Someone read for us verse 136 Psalm 119 verse 136 See there there's a holy hatred for sins a holy sorrow if you will for for sin The psalmist says my eyes shed streams of tear because people do not keep the law of god the sins of others should produce a holy hatred for sin a holy sorrow for sin when we see others sinning god god uses that for our good by helping us and causing us to hate sin more uh, a question for you there When you see others sinning breaking the law of God are you sorrowful does it cause you to hate sin more because this is how it works out for your good this is how God makes the all things the worst things the sins of others to work out for your good in causing you to hate sin more and more in helping you not to be silent when you see evils going on I was recently telling some brethren that we have a neighbor that is very rowdy and uh, she, she can she can say anything to anyone she can act anyhow really and I was telling them that it it can't happen on my watch i can't i can't just hear someone breaking the law of god and not say anything and just say hey huyo anakuanga hivyo they would rather continue having been told that it is evil it is wrong it is sinful our hearts our eyes should shed streams of tears because people do not keep the law of god and this is how the sins of others produce good in our hearts this is how they work out for our good 
by causing us to have a holy hatred and sorrow for sin. Sins of others produce a particular praying about sin. If you, if you read what the psalmist writes, he says, Break the jaws of the evildoers. We pray against the works of the evil one, even the works of evil men. We ask God to restrain the hand of evil men. Thus then the sins of others produce this good in us, again, of prayer and helping us to pray in a particular way. Forget what those prayers are called, imprecatory prayers, where we pray against the evils of men. The sins of others produce this good. They work out for our good like this. They produce us, they, they, they produce in us a stronger opposition against sin. Again, it's not only that we are sorrowful uh, uh, that, that people break the law of God, but we are opposed to the evil systems of this world. We oppose the sins of others when we see them. The sins of others make us work out for our salvation more. And this is how it produces good in us. When we are working out our salvation, it's not only because we are sinful people. It's also because we see the effects of sin, how sin has ravaged others. <clears throat> now, um, let, me, let me give an illustration with Matthew chapter 15. We have the passage <clears throat> on... Uh, church discipline sorry Matthew 18 Matthew 18 the passage on church discipline and when others are being disciplined the, the Bible says that it works out to produce fear in others when we are disciplining others you've gone to the sinful party told them they are sin, they refuse, you go with, with two or three others, you tell them they are sin, they refuse, you bring it before the church, you tell them they are sin, they still refuse to repent, to recant, to turn away from their evil ways, you excommunicate them, you grant corrective church discipline. What that does for the people in the church is it shows the seriousness of sin and does what? And makes them work out their salvation even more. When you see someone else being disciplined for their sin, you work out your salvation, right? It's like, it's like being a parent. When you have multiple children and one of them does an evil, a disobedience, when you discipline them, what does it produce in the, the others? Produces fear, uh, holy reverence for bad things. Uh, so that the sins of others really should cause us to work out our salvation even more, especially when we see action being taken against their sins. And then we have our own sins. 
our own sins also work out for our good. Now in this, I, 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 I have to say that we, we are not to think that because our sins work out for our good, therefore, we are to continue in sin. You know, you have that hyper-Calvinism that believes that uh, uh, if my sin produce good, produces good, grants God glory, why should I not continue in it so that God is glorified even more and more? That's not how we are to think as believers. Hmm? Sin brings forth death. Sin brings the judgment of God upon the evildoer. And thus then, it should be forsaken and shunned with all our might. But, but we are not to forget that even our own sin is used by God for our good. Now, how so? <clears throat> our own sin make us hate the world. The sins that we commit, they make us to hate the world. They make us, they cause us to hate our flesh. And number three, they cause us to hate the world. Now, this is what should happen in your heart if you're a believer. When you commit sins, rather than producing despair and you know that, uh, what do you call it? That weak conscience that thinks that, oh, now God does not love me. God is going to punish me now. I don't even want to go before God to ask for forgiveness. You know, that's, that's how we, we tend to be sometimes. Eh? Instead of producing that, the sins that we commit should produce hatred for <coughs> sin. Hatred for the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because we know the temptations come through the world, the flesh, and the devil, when we sin, it should cause us to hate the world even more. To hate the remaining sin in us. Go with me to the text that we have been considering, Romans chapter 8. Sorry, chapter 7. Chapter 7. Paul talks about the battle that is within him. Because he is a Christian now, he says that uh, while the law is good, um, <clears throat> once the law is granted, sin, sin starts to follow him. It's as though the desire to sin is awakened in him. In verse 21 he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Look at verse, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Produces a hatred for, for the flesh for the, the, the sinful nature within us. Because as he says there, that which he does not want to do, verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He says it's this, this sinful nature within me. And it causes him to, to cry out, wretched man that I am. Who is going to deliver me from the body of this death? Who is going to deliver me from this evil? It causes us to hate the devil. To know that the devil is our adversary. He is our accuser. He is waiting like this. For you to sin. So that he can accuse you. See how the people you have saved are living. See how they are going against your law. Isn't that what the devil wanted to do with Job? He wanted Job to fall so that he could run back to God and say, You see, you see, it's because of the riches that you gave him that he was worshipping you. But God tells Satan, This is my servant. I have declared him righteous. I have justified him. He is my righteous servant. So, so, so it doesn't matter really that Job later on falls, starts to grumble and to complain because God had justified him. He was righteous in the sight of God. And this is how it is with us. God has justified you, my, my dear brethren. Thus then what sin should cause and, and, and produce in you is a hatred for sin. Hatred for the world. Hatred for the devil. Hatred for the sinful nature, the flesh. Because you know that the world grants the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. What does John tell us not to do? We should not love the world. Because when we do that, the, 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 the love of the Father is not in us. If we love the world, we become prideful. We have this lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Thus then we do not love God, or rather the love of the Father is not in us. And so what, what sin, the sin in us should do is it should produce a hatred for the world, hatred for the flesh, hatred for the devil, so that we oppose him. Our own sins should make us love Christ more. This is how they, this is how they work out for our good. They not only produce hatred for the world, the flesh and the devil, they also make us love Christ more. Our own sins make us see what kind of love is this that the Father gives His only Son to take the punishment for the sons of disobedience. It makes us love Christ more. How could Christ love such wretched sinners like we? Husbands are told to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. And the idea there is that Christ loves the church regardless of her state. Regardless of our filth. So that, so that our sins work out for our good by producing this love for Christ. When we see how he, how he has loved us. Our own sins, again, they, they produce in us a longing for the return of Christ. We want Christ to come back quickly. That sin may be removed from us. It's such a wonder that many who call themselves Christians today cannot imagine Christ coming back today. Right? 
true? I mean, you tell someone that uh, you want Christ to come back and the charismatic movement has so deceived people, they can't imagine Christ coming back today. Why? Because this is their best life. For the Christian, it's not. Because of sin. And we know that that sin produces a particular good in us by making us long for the return of Christ. We want Christ to come back quickly. We want to hear the trumpet call. We're not like the unbeliever who, who doesn't know what they will do when they hear the trumpet or when death comes upon them. The Christian wants to, to die, if you will, that they may be with Christ, for it is better to be with Christ. They don't want to die so much so that they go commit suicide. It's not that we wish death upon ourselves, really, but it's that we, we long for the return of Christ because of sin. And that longing is a good produced by God. In the all things working together for the good of God's people, even the worst things. Lastly, our own sins make us to be watchful. They help us to be watchful. Because we know that we are sins, the good produced in us, or the, or the working out for our good, that this sin works for our good, is that it makes us to be watchful. We know where pitfalls are. We know the sin that is remaining in us. We know that the world is out to get us. That the devil is out to jump on us. And that's then the believer walks a watchful way. Last text that I'd like to bring to you. First Corinthians chapter 10 again. Before the text where we've read about uh, no temptation coming upon us. In verse 12 we are told, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The Christians are to be watchful. There are all these temptations and then we know that temptations do cause us to sin. Sometimes. And thus then as Christians we should be watchful. And this being watchful is a good my friends, it's a good that is produced, that is worked out for us. So that when we are not watchful, when we are not longing for the return of Christ, when we are not loving Christ more, when we are not hating the world, the flesh and the devil more and more and more in our Christian lives, sin is not producing good in us. It's not working for our good while it should be. Or to put it differently, the Christian is lazing around. They're not consciously aware of the fact that all things work together for their good. They're walking in this world blindly, which is what I do not want you to do. I don't want you to walk around blindly. I want you to, to realize that the best things that, that happen in your life, they work out for your good, especially your spiritual good. That, and, and even the worst things, they work out for your good, for your spiritual good. Produce good in you that is going to make you ready when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. Sin does not work for the good of the non-Christian. This is the last thing that I want to say. And repeat, temptations do not work 
for the good of the non-Christian. Sin does not work for the good of non-Christian unless it is leading them to repentance and to life. Unless it is leading them to repent of their sins, to see the judgment of God upon them, to cause them to depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus then, all who are unbelievers are called to repent of their sins, to turn from their evil ways and to turn to Christ and they will be saved. And when they are saved, all things start working together for their good. Is there any question or comment? I'd like to end it there. Any, any question or comment? <clears throat> Continue with this conversation of uh, the chip lot. May the Lord bless us with these things. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come to you this morning. We praise your name because you're working out all things for the good of your people. Those that love you, those that are called according to your purpose. We thank you that. We see that it's not only the, the best things that work for our good, but it's also the worst things that work for the good of your people. Oh, may you make us aware of these truths, that the temptations, that we may see the temptations that we are facing as being brought by your omnipotent hand to work out for our good, to cause us to walk in your will to grant an opportunity for us to exercise loyalty to you. Oh, how we pray, Lord, that you may help us to see that the sins that we commit, however evil they be, your omnipotent hand is working the evil in it, produce good in us and good for us to the praise and glory of your name. Lord, keep us Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help us to walk in your ways. To love what you love and to hate what you hate. And grant that good may be produced in us out of the all things that you bring to us. Help us as we continue to consider these things to learn at your feet. Because these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.